So how we doing? How we doing? At both of our campuses, why don't you help me out? Maybe you know this saying. There's an old saying that says something like this. Um, Pride comes before a a fall. So help me again. Pride comes before a a fall. And, And so what is the opposite of pride? What is the opposite of pride? Humble or humility. Some people would say humility, right? Uh, I want to land on that thought for a moment. The opposite of pride being humility. I think that is true, uh, but I think there's something else. I think the opposite of pride is also this thing called self. It's this love for self. This consumption with self. This adoration of self. You, you see, because it's actually, self is, is deeper than just pride. It is actually the root of pride. Uh, maybe we can just interchange the two words. I'm not really sure. But, but the opposite of this humility thing to me is this thing called self. And, and the truth is, is that every single one of us battles it. Uh, I, I think it's sometimes very difficult to see inside of us, but I think that every single one of us wrestles with it. And, and my guess is, is if you don't know it inside of you, my guess is that you've seen it in somebody else, right? Because we all know when we see it. We, we know it, right? Uh, I don't know if you keep up with music culture at all or pop culture at all, but uh, on top of the pop culture musical world is this thing called hip-hop music, Right? And uh, it's very sad for old rock and rollers like, like me. It's very, very sad. But I'm working through it. Don't worry about that. Uh, but but it, hip-hop is here to stay. And there is this person who has been sort of on the top of the hip-hop world for a lot of years. Uh, and it doesn't look like he's going away anytime soon. His name is Kanye West. Anybody know Kanye West? Okay. Uh, any Kanye fans in, in the house? Any, any on, on our video campus? Yeah. You know, Kanye is a really humble guy. I mean, he's just really a gracious and a humble sort of a guy. Uh, and Kanye's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, you know, recently he visited the White House, had a little, you know, conference with President Trump, and he sort of took the mic from Trump and just kind of did his own thing. And that, that went over real well on all sides of the coin, right? And, uh, and, and of course, uh, he's famous not only for his music, but he's famous because he's married to Kim Kardashian, who is, of course, famous for being... Famous, right? That's it. And I, I can't figure out any other reason why she's famous, right? Um, but I remember, I think it was back in like 2000, maybe it was six, seven, or eight, somewhere in there, Kanye West uh, won Best Hip Hop Artist of the Year. He's actually won it a couple times, and uh, like Grammys and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he, he won this uh, very prestigious award, and it was presented to him at the MTV Europe Music Awards. Well, apparently, uh, Kanye West wasn't quite satisfied with that because Uh, he thought he should also win Best Video of the Year. So he wins Best Hip Hop Artist of the Year, but during the Best Video of the Year presentation, Kanye got so disturbed that he did not win that he literally storms onto stage when he was not receiving the award. He, I'm, I'm telling you, this guy is sort of nuts, okay? But he literally takes the microphone from the artist that was receiving the award and he goes into this explicitive laced rant that, you could hardly even make out what the sentences mean, but it would have been, uh, it would have been funny if it wasn't so doggone arrogant, right? Uh, but in this moment, he is going on. At some point, he says this. He says, quote, he says, I should have won this video award. And then he tells you why he, he should have won it. He says, because, quote, I spent millions of dollars on my video, as if all the other artists hadn't, right? And and then he says this, true. He says, and I had Pamela Anderson in my video. And anybody who has Pamela Anderson in their video should win first place. 
No matter what it is, right? And, and then he says something really crazy. He says, and I was jumping over canyons. Like in his video, he's jumping over the Grand Canyon. And I'm not sure that he connected that, that he really wasn't jumping over canyons, right? Because, I mean, on television he was, but he was in front of a green screen and there was a computer animation that was helping him look like he was, Kanye, it was not real, right? But, but he was so upset, he ends his little tirade by saying this. He goes, he goes and, and uh, if I don't win, now he had already lost, somebody else had already won, but if I don't win, listen, he goes, if I don't win, this show loses credibility. And I'm thinking to myself, if anything should make somebody lose credibility, it's what this guy is doing in this very moment. But apparently Kanye didn't quite get this. Uh, he, he actually made a statement a little bit later, a couple years back, in, uh, in this show called VH1 Story, uh, what is it called, Storytellers? Yeah, Storytellers. And um, listen to this quote. The first part is actually okay, I think, for some, to some degree. He says this, he says, God chose me. He made a path for me, and I am God's vessel. Okay, God may have a very special calling on his life. I'm not exactly sure, but... But he might. But then he says this. This is where I just go, what in the world are you talking about? He goes, but my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform. <laughs> I got an amen. Oh, wow. Uh, so check, check this out. Uh, now, I'm sorry if there's any Kanye West fans in the house. Okay, I'm just sorry. I just can't get into this guy because he's so bizarre. And listen, he is so full of himself. You, you know it when, when you see it, right? You know it when you see it. Now, now listen, uh, contrast that kind of thinking with one of the greatest thinkers of all time, in my opinion, uh, a man named C.S. Lewis. Uh, he, he once said this. Now, C.S. Lewis, by the way, uh, he, he's dead. And, um, but that happens to a lot of people. So... Um, <laughs> But, but C.S. Lewis once said it like this. This is amazing. That's what he said. He, he says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Right? As long as you're on top, thinking that you are on top, that you run the show, you will never see yourself at the feet of God. And you will never see God his love and his banner and his leadership over you. As long as you think it's all about you. As long as you think you are the center, the epicenter of life and humanity. Um, so below this thing called pride, listen, below this thing called pride is this thing called self. It, it, it's the layer underneath. They go hand in hand. Uh, self is the one-sided absorption with all things you, right? Someone once said this, that, that pride is the idolatrous worship of self and it is the national religion of hell. Whew. Pride is about making ourselves big and God small. That's the kind of pride we're talking about. The kind of pride that elevates you and devalues God's leadership in your life. That, that's the kind of pride that will end up ruinous to who we are and to our souls. Uh, uh, it is about thinking that somehow you are complete in yourself. It, it's thinking that we are the center of it all. Pride is the only disease known to mankind that makes everyone sick except the person who has it, right? The, the truth is, is that the demon of self was born with us and it will not die an hour before us. It won't. 
So somehow we need to battle this thing because Jesus once said this. Listen to what Jesus says about this, this thing called self, this thing called pride, this thing called self-reliance and self-elevation. Listen to what he says. He says, if you want to find your life, he says at one time, he says, you got to lose your life. Now think about that. He says, if you want to find life, you, you've got to lose your own life. Isn't that odd? He says, if you want to find God, uh, you must, he, he says another time, he says, you must die to yourself. He says, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to be with me, he says this crazy line. He says, he must first deny, he must first deny himself, pick up a cross, and follow me. Does that not strike anybody as a little extreme? But this is what it takes to know the heart of God. Somehow moving this deadly animal that is inside of us outside of the center and putting Christ where he belongs in the center of it all, right? So just a little show of honesty here. Uh, why, don't, why don't you help me out? How, how many in the room would say, uh, um, you, you would be honest, you would say, I, I battle with this self-absorption sometimes. I battle with this thing called pride. Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? So those of you who are too prideful to raise your hands, I'm so glad that you're here because this message is for you. It is for you. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, this idea of, of self-absorption is something that every single one of us deals with at one level or another. Like, for, for example, like, uh, have you ever been in a group picture? Like a group picture? You ever been in a group picture? Like you take like a selfie and there's a bunch of you. Um, who, let's just be honest. Like when you finally see the picture, who is the very first person that you look for? You, you look for you. you, you do every single time. And here's the other thing, I, I can prove that we're all selfish to some degree. Uh, if you look good in the picture and everybody else looks horrible in the picture, what kind of picture is it? It is a good picture, right? But, but, but if you look bad, but everybody else looks great in the photo, it is what, what kind of picture is it? It's a bad picture, right? Because you look out for you, that's just what we do. Um, so we're in this series called Virtues. And this idea of virtues is about the inner qualities of a man or a woman, the, the, the character in which drives their life in order to help them live a life well lived. And it, it's, it defines not only right and wrong, it, it determines a level, and it's a very churchy word, it determines a level of goodness about a, about a person or godliness about a person. It, it's the shaping of God's character uh, within us. And, and so virtues, you know them when you see them. When you see somebody who is a man or a woman of character, there's just a certain nobility about them. There is a certain goodness about them that is attractive to most of us. Really, it is. There's just something different. And so at both of our campuses, listen, at both of our campuses, we want to study this virtue called humility because some things must not be forgotten. Y'all with me so far? Some things must not be forgotten. And so I want to do battle with this thing called self because it has the potential to totally ruin us. It has the potential to totally consume us and take us off because for many of us, uh, this idea of self is like a glowing blind spot that everybody else can see, but we can't see it 
ourselves. Um, for, for example, there was this guy who was a CEO of a very large corporation, a very great corporation, and uh, he and his wife are out on a date night, and they're driving their fancy car, and they pull into this uh, I guess you'd call it like a service station, a, a gas station, but the old school kind of had like a, an attendant there and they come out and wash your windows and pump your gas and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, the guy who is driving, the CEO of this great corporation, he's noticing that his wife is in a full-blown animated discussion with the gas station attendant. And, uh, you know, very animated discussion. And uh, so they get done and they pay and, and they go on their way. And as they're uh, driving down the road after they make uh, a little uh, small talk, uh, he finds out that, that this was a guy in high school that his wife used to date. Used to date. And so, uh, you know, and after a little while, they're driving, and he's kind of quiet, and he's feeling a little bit cocky at the moment, right? He's a president of the huge, just a huge corporation, driving his fancy car, and, and eventually he kind of turns over to his wife, and he says, honey, I bet you I, I know what you're thinking. And she says, what's that, honey? And uh, she, he says, well, I bet you're thinking that you're certainly glad that you married me because I'm the president of a great corporation rather than this gas station attendant kind of fella. And she immediately says, no, I wasn't thinking that at all. As a matter of fact, I was thinking that I bet you're glad that you married me because he would be the, if I married him, he would be the CEO of the great corporation and you would be the gas station attendant, right? You see, pride is when we think we're hot and we're not. Pride is when we're thinking we're on the top and we're not, right? And, and it's, by the way, have you guys seen my, my, new, web, my, my new website, www.pastorjaisdebomb.com? Have you seen? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but there is this thing called self, right? And it's very dangerous. And if we're not careful, it can consume us. And we'll end up becoming somebody that we never wanted to become. And we'll end up doing things that we never thought we'd want to do. Because self, if it drives us, is not letting God drive us. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about a little, this thing called self a little bit. Uh, we, we said that pride goes before what? A fall. And here's what the scripture, scripture says. This is exactly how it says it in the scriptures. So uh, Proverbs 16, uh, verse 18, it says this. Pride goes before this thing called destruction and a haughty spirit before what? Here it is. A fall, right? Proverbs uh, 16, 18. And, and so and, and then if you go just a little bit further in that same chapter, uh, in, in verse 26, it says, what, uh, how dangerous is this thing? Listen, how dangerous is it? It says, the Lord God, listen, the Lord detests it. All the proud of heart. And be sure of this. This is what's going to happen. They will not go un, what? Punish. Now, friends, listen. That seems to be a very clear warning to not let pride and self consume us. It seems to be a very clear warning to make sure that our hearts aren't set on us, but are set on the things of God above us. Amen? Y'all tracking with me so far? Uh, friends, I want you to hear this because as far as I can see in the scripture, there is only one type of person that God puts his hand up against, that God actually opposes. Uh, this, I don't know if you know this, but the scripture is very clear that God is good and that God is gracious. And that God is quick to forgive. 
That God wants to give leadership to your life. That God wants to come in and intersect in your life no matter where you've been, no matter what the struggle is. But it says that there is one kind of person that God puts his hand up and says, I don't want anything to do with you. You think, well, that must be a murderer or a rapist. No. You know what it says? It says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It just simply says that God opposes the, the what? Anybody know it? The proud. God opposes the proud person. He puts his hand up against you. And he says, no, 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 no. The moment that we think that it is about us, the moment that we think that we can navigate through life on our own outside of the grace of God, the moment that we think that we don't need saving, the moment that we think that we don't need forgiving, God puts up his hand and says, you can go ahead and do what you want with your life. And you see how it works out. Because it says, God opposes the proud but it says if somehow we fight this thing called pride, if somehow we fight this thing called self, it, it says that God is quick to give us this thing called grace. So it says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the, to the humble. If somehow if we resist pride, it says that God is going to be quick to come alongside of us and lift us up. And I'm going to tell you something, friends, that the virtue of, humil of humility should not be forgotten. Because why, friends? It is better to have the hand of God with you than against you. It is better to have the hand of God moving you forward than dragging you back. Because God will find a way to humble us. Because God's greatest desire is not to beat us into the ground. It is not to somehow hurt us or to take us off of our game. No, no, no. God's greatest desire is for us to realize our need for a savior. God's great desire is for us to realize our need for forgiveness and to be made right with him. And that that making of rightness between you and God does not depend on you. It depends on God's goodness towards you. Do you hear this, friends? This is a deep theological thing that we're talking about. Some of our hearts have to be right before God. And, and I want you to think about this, because no matter who you are, no matter your past, no matter your sin, you can be an ex-con, you can be one of the greediest, careless, perverse persons around, uh, you, can e you can be an addict. Listen, you could even be a member of Congress. <laughs> but if you turn your heart toward God with humility, God says he will meet you. But if you hold your hand up and you say, I don't need you, God. If you say, God, your leadership is not for me. If you say, God, I can do it on my own apart, of you, apart from you, God says, okay, fine. I'm not with you, I'm, I'm against you. I'm putting my hand up against you. I'm not gonna bless you. And let me tell you something, friends. We don't need that kind of pride in life. We need the hand of God to go before us. Now, some of you might say, well, well, hold on, hold on. I'm proud of my church. That's a totally different kind of a proud. Right? That's a totally different kind of pride. That's like, man, I'm proud of what God is doing among us. And we go, I'm proud of my children. God wants you to be proud of your children. That's a different kind of proud because that's the kind of proud that says, you know what? Uh, we're, we're, we're leading our children in the way that God wants us to form them and fashion them. And they're making some good decisions. And we're excited about that. And we're proud of that. That's a good kind of a pride. It's totally different than the self-absorbed kind of pride that the scripture is talking about. Do you see the difference? It's like, I'm proud of a job well done. Anybody ever do something? And you go, wow, that looks good. That looks good. Anybody? Yeah. yeah, that's a good kind of pride. God gave you that creativity. God gave you those talents. And you say, God, I'm thankful for this. This looks really good. It's a totally different. But when you're like, I am so the man. I am like Kanye West. I should have won that award and the other award, right? 
Then God's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is going on here? It's totally different. So let's talk about a few ways that self and pride can take over our lives. And we're just going to try to go through this. And you may want to write these down. I don't know. But I think they might be helpful. Um, because this thing called self rises up in every, in every one of us every once in a while. And one of the ways it does this is this I am better than you type of pride. It's the I am better than you type of pride. Here, and this is how you know you're struggling with this. And this is sneaky stuff, and it sort of just happens in our heart. It's not like we plan for it to happen, but it just does. Uh, but here's what happens. If they're different than you, maybe they're a different color than you. Maybe they're a different uh, sociological economic group than you. Maybe, uh, maybe you're, you're, you've been like in this kind of leave it to beaver home all your life, and you're, the people around you are divorced, and, and they're just different than you. Their past is different. Or, or, or maybe uh, somehow uh, you, you think they're not as good looking as, as you, or they're not as well off as you, or they're not as smart as you, or maybe they're disabled in some way, and you're not. And you're like going, well, there's this wall that goes up, and you kind of start to think, I am better than you. I'm glad I'm not you because I like me better than you. You see? And it, it's a sneaky thing. It, it just can kind of well up inside of us. Or, or maybe you look at another person and you become critical easy because they're just not doing it the way that you think that it should be done. Or, or maybe you become jealous because somebody is more successful than you. Or maybe you become bitter because somebody is more talented than you. Or maybe they have it all together and you become angry and you get these weird feelings about other people and you're going, I don't even know why I feel this about other people. Why should I even care? Well, it's probably because you have this I am better than you type of pride going on in your soul. It's probably rattling around in there and it's rearing its ugly head every once in a while. So why, why do we do this? Because we have this I am better than you type of pride and this is very, very dangerous. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells this story one time. It's a great story. Um, well, actually, not, not, not a story. It's a, it's a story that comes from the life of Jesus. And uh, it, it's found in, in the Gospels in, in uh, Luke chapter 14. And Jesus goes to this wedding banquet, this reception, right? And uh, uh, it's not exactly like our modern day wedding reception, even though some of the roots are probably the same. So he, he goes in and it says, first of all, that everybody's kind of watching Jesus and they're trying to figure out what his next thing he's going to say, what he's going to do. And, and it says that this party, at this party, all of these Pharisees were there watching him, right? And they're watching him because if he says something wrong, they're going to get him because all the people are going, whoa, I really like this Jesus guy. They want to knock Jesus down, right? Because they have this I am better than you pride kind of a thing going on. And so it goes on to say, though, it's very interesting that Jesus was not only being watched, but Jesus was doing a little watching of himself or of, of them as well. He was doing a little watching himself. And so he's watching all these people come and go into this wedding uh, situation. And he's noticing that there is this fight going on, this wrangling going on for the best seat in the house, the best seat at the wedding, right? Now, pause for a second. You have to understand that it was probably not like our weddings. Like we come in and they got like a big uh, display of tables and they're all prettied up and everything's good like that. Well, that probably wasn't the case for the vast majority in the ancient world. When you would come into a, a, a wedding of some sort or a reception of some sort, you actually mostly ate on the ground. Did you know this? Like you actually, the tables were, were generally, if you think of it, like they're just low lying tables and you actually kind of lay down and lean up against them and you kind of eat slightly off the ground, but your body is all on the ground. And so you kind of, you know, just kind of lay around eating and hanging out and talking to people. It's kind of weird for us, but they didn't have chairs and tables for everybody back then. 
Like, it's normal for us to all have chairs and tables. Anybody in the room not have chairs and tables? I'll help you out, okay? But, but most of us have a chair and a table of some kind, right? But it wasn't the case back then. And, and generally speaking, at a formal banquet, how they would arrange the chairs was very, very important. They would often arrange the chairs in this U shape, like a U, like two lines and then a center line. And guess who was at the front? Guess who was at the front of the U? The bridal party. Now, we do the same thing, right? We put the bridal party in a special table, usually up on a little stage with fancy lights and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, think about this. So Jesus is coming in, and he's watching all these people trying to figure out how to get the best seat because they, they valued honor. Those that were seated closest to the bride and groom at the center of this U, those seated closest had the highest place of honor. And we do the same thing in our culture, right? You have a wedding. You have the wedding party. They sit at their own table all together. Now, Jesus is watching all this going on and people are trying to figure out where they belong and where they sit. And he says, notice that everybody is trying to get to the front of the table. Now think about how odd this would be. If I was to come to a wedding and uh, I just walk in, I'm just a friend of a friend and I'm nobody special at this wedding and, and uh, I just walk in and all of a sudden I, I'm like seeing all the people and they're all mingling around and, and I see the main table up front. And what if I was just go, woo, that table's empty and I like that table is. It's real close to the food. It's real close to the band and all the pretty lights are on that table and it's decorated better than any other table. I'm gonna go sit in that table. And Jesus says, that's what we do. We do this. We want to sit where we don't belong because we have an I am better than you type of pride going on. Listen to what Jesus tells from this little story. Uh, it's found in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verse 7. It says this, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. And what's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is a story about everyday life that carries the impact of eternity with it. Y'all with me so far? So he's going to take this story that he's seen, this scene that he's seen, he's going to elevate the game, and he's going to try to teach us something. And this is what he says. When he noticed how the guests all pick places of honor at the table, they're all trying to get to the front of the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the, uh, the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host, will invite, uh, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Now, can you see this? Right, you can see this. He's saying like, if you've worked your way to the front of the you, you're going you're gonna to get the old tap on the shoulder and go, you don't belong here. You're at the end of the row. And Jesus says, that's going to be very humiliating for you. Now, look at this. Look at this. But when you are invited, you take the lowest place so that when the host comes and he says, friend, move up to a better place. And you can see like the little skipping up the row, right? He says, when, you, when, you, uh, when your host comes and says, friend, move up to a better place, then you will be honored in the presence of all of your fellow guests. And don't miss this part. Now, here it is. For whoever, uh, for everyone who exalts himself will be what? Humbled. But he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and there, are those of, there are those of us who suffer with this, I am better than you, pride. And friends, uh, let me just tell you something about the Christian church and Christian people. And I don't pretend that everybody in this room is a Christian. But for those of us who've been around the Christian church a while, a while know this. That this idea of I am better than you pride is very pervasive in the Christian church. We got people who walk around and go, whoo, I'm lucky I don't do that. 
I'm lucky God saved me and I'm better than you because I don't do and you fill in the blank. There is an old, old saying in the, in the Christian church that says this, if it, not, if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. Let me say that again just in case you miss it. If it were not for the grace of God, there go I. In other words, every single one of us needs the same grace of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has struggles and, and, and difficulties in life and things that we wish we would never have done, regrets, all that kind of stuff. And the moment you think that you are somehow above somebody else puts you in a spiritual ball game that is dangerous. It puts you in a level where God is gonna tap you on the shoulder and say, you don't belong here. You have forgotten that grace puts you where you belong. I'm preaching better than you guys are reacting right now because I thought that was right there. I mean, we, you, you get what I'm saying? Are, are we on the same page? That, that, that God is the grace giver and we all need it. And, and so... Um, there is another kind of pride that I think rattles around inside of us and if we're not careful can take over and it's this one, I just call it, I can do it on my own type of pride. I can do it on my own. It's like I, don't, I can handle it myself, I don't need anybody or, uh, to show me anything, to help me with anything, to lead me toward anything, to correct me. I can do it on my own, I can handle it. Uh, I, I read this very interesting little story and I'm just gonna read it to you uh, but it's about a guy who had to correspond to his insurance company after an accident. I just kinda wanna read it for, for you and it says this. Remember about this idea of I, I, can, I can do it on my own, right? He says, dear sirs, Dear sirs, I, recently, I was recently moving 500 pounds of bricks from top of a five-story building. It would, have take, it would have taken a long time to carry them down, so I put them in a bucket and I lowered them by a pulley, which I fastened to the top of the building. After try, try, tying the rope securely at the ground level, I returned to the top of the building, tied the other end to a barrel, loaded it with bricks, and swung it over the side of the building for descent. Then I returned to the sidewalk and I untied the rope, holding it securely, guiding the barrel down slowly. Since the bucket weighed 500 pounds and I weigh only about 150 pounds before the accident, that is, the force of the descending bricks jerked me into the air so quickly that I did not have time to think about letting go. As I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. This would account for the bruises and the lacerations on my upper body. Still, I held tightly to the rope until I reached the top where my hands became jammed in the pulley. This accounts for the broken fingers. At the same time, however, the barrel crashed to the sidewalk and the bottom broke out. With the weight of the bricks now gone, the barrel weighed only about 40 pounds. Thus, my 150-pound body began a very swift descent. My descent was slowed only slightly as I met the bucket coming up. This accounts for my broken ankles. My descent continued until I crashed onto the pile of bricks. This accounts for my sprained back and my broken collarbone. At that time, I guess I finally lost my presence of mind and com uh, completely and I let go of the rope. The empty 40-pound bucket then came crashing down from five floors uh, on top of me. Uh, this accounts for my head injuries. I trust that this letter answers your concerns sufficiently. Uh, and please note one additional thing. I am finished trying to do the job alone. Isn't that good? So good. There is this pride that every single one of us battles. And it is that I don't need anybody else. I can do it alone. Um, that somehow, if, if, I, uh, 
uh, if I asked for help, I'd be seen as weak. If somehow, if I asked for guidance, that somehow I would be seen as needy. Well, let me give you a little piece of news that we all know about each other anyways. At times you are needy. And at times you are weak. It just comes with the territory of being human. It, it just does. And, and so there's something in us that says, I don't need a mentor. I don't need a friend. I, I can fix it on my own. I don't need a life group. My friend, we have this uh, one incredible ministry in our church called Renew. And uh, I, love, I, I love Renew uh, because it's filled with people who, are, who have figured this out, that we're better together, that, that we can go farther together. That, that somehow we can find freedom together, that we can become all that God wants us to become t- together. You see, because self, uh, self says you can, uh, you can keep it to yourself. Self says that you can do it yourself. Self says that you can handle it yourself. Self says that you are better with yourself, that you can go it alone. Uh, and, and this thing called self, this thing called pride, it, uh, the, the problem with this thing called self is that it keeps you from the Savior, it keeps you from God himself. It, when we think that somehow that all of life can be handled on our own, we literally put our hand up to God and we say, I don't need you. And God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. Look at, look at how the prophet uh, Jeremiah, we just studied Jeremiah, and look how the prophet Jeremiah speaks about this. Um, about this idea of doing it on your own and rejecting God's goodness toward us. It says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his own wisdom or his own strength, or, 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 or the strong man boast of his own strength, or the rich man boast of his own riches, but let him boast, boast about this. Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. And Jeremiah is saying, God has something that is so deep, deeper than you ever imagined. These are the things that we should get around. You, you think it's your own money, your own strength, your own wisdom. He says, no, 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 don't forget the God who gives you all of that, Amen. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God opposes the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. So, so what does this mean for, for a whole bunch of us, this idea of I can do it on my own type of pride? Um, I, I think this means this, that some people, you're in a marriage and that marriage is struggling. And somehow it's been struggling for a long time and, and you literally think you're gonna fix it by ignoring it. It will not end well with you. And it will not end well for you. Some people in this room, you've been struggling with an addiction for a long, long time and, and you're keeping it on the inside. And, and you don't want to tell anybody, but, but people see you sinking and they see you going down and they go, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? I don't get it. She used to be way up here and he used to be up here and, and now it's just down, down, down. But you, you, you think that you can do it on your own, right? Um, others of us... Uh, you know, we, we have this idea that somehow we can fix it. Let me tell you something. If you could fix you by yourself, you would have done it a long time ago. Right? Yeah. The prophet Jeremiah says, call on God. 
on his wisdom and his goodness towards you. Uh, there, there's one more thing that I think we need to get around. Uh, there's another kind of pride that I think keeps us from what God wants in our life. And it's, uh, it's the kind of pride that says, it doesn't apply to me type of pride. It doesn't apply to me type of, of pride. And I think this is where most of us land right here. Uh, th those may be the rules, but they're not my rules. They really don't apply uh, to me. It's like Muhammad Ali. Anybody remember Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, heavyweight champion of the world? He's, he's a long time gone, but, uh, but, but when he was in the day, he used to have this uh, little saying, he'd say, um, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, something, 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 Muhammad Ali. I can never remember the something, 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 but remember that deal? I mean, he, talk about it, he was so arrogant. Uh, there's a story that, that comes out uh, of his life, and he was on a plane, and uh, big entourage around him, and the stewardess comes and says, uh, sir, uh, I need you to put your, your, your seatbelt on, and Muhammad Ali looks at, at uh, the stewardess and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt, because that's how he talks, Superman don't need no seatbelt, and uh, she looks at him, and the, the people who wrote about this said, she looks at his face and goes, well, Superman don't need no plane either. Put your belt on. <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Uh, but but here, here's the truth. Some of us, uh, you, you live like the rules of life don't apply to you, right? There's, there's that little sign at the, 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 the express lane at the grocery store, and it says 10 and under, but you got 16 items. And it just doesn't apply to you, Right? Now, I gotta admit something. This may come as a shock to some of you. Uh, this is perhaps one of the biggest things of life for me, one of the biggest difficulties. I'll admit it, I just hate being told what to do. I, I don't know what it is. It's been like this all of my life. I don't know. And you know what? You can be telling me the right thing. And I'm just like, I don't really care because I know what's best and you're not gonna tell me what to do, right? And this is something that I have to battle, and my guess is I'm not alone in this, right? Um, we have this idea that life rules, and you know there are life rules, and we just think they're just not for you, they're for some, somebody else. Like you come to church here, and uh, you, you hear the preacher man talk about this thing called lust and how it can consume you and make you become a different man or woman than you ever wanted to be. And you hear about it all the time, and, but you think, oh, it's just an, it doesn't really apply to me because I know a whole bunch of Christian men who say they love Jesus and want to follow Jesus, but they go home and they look on pornography on the internet all the time and they have these little excuses. It helps me cope, it helps me get through my day and you don't know what kind of struggle it is for me, all those sorts of things. But Jesus said it will not end well for you if you keep that up. But we just think that it doesn't really apply to us, right? Or, or you know, like we know with our health, if we keep eating the same way, if we keep not exercising or being lazy, whatever it is, we can look at everybody else and we go, wow, it really sucks that they're in the hospital dying an early death, a painful death, whatever it is, or getting old and just struggling, you know? And we can think it applies to somebody else, but it doesn't apply to us. Your rules, we say, of life don't apply to me, God. Like God says, uh, you are to forgive. You are to forgive. Well, you don't know how bad that person hurt me and I'm bitter and I like being bitter and I would 
forgive them if they were worth my forgiveness. But God just simply says, forgive. But we don't think the rules of God apply to us. And somehow we're going to manage to get around it. There, there's a story that comes from the life of King David, and, and it's an incredible story. You guys might know who King David is. He's one of the Bible heroes, but David had his troubles, man. He almost lost it because of his pride. There, there's a story that he was living his own way. Some of you guys know he ends up having this affair, and he has this guy killed. It was it's just he terrible. He did terrible, terrible things. And he lost his soul in the middle of it all. He lost who he was in the middle of it all. And, and, and so finally, God sends the prophet Nathan to, or uh, Nathaniel, excuse me, to visit King David and uh, to, to kind of point out that, David, you're not obeying the very things that God told you to obey. And so Nathaniel tells King David this story. He says, uh, David, and David doesn't realize it's a story at first. He says, he says, David, I'm going to tell you something. There is somebody in your kingdom, a very rich man who has everything in the whole world. And he thinks everything is his. And he has everything that he wants. But he's got this neighbor who lives just across the street from him. And he's a very poor man. He's, he's an old man. And he's got one sheep, just one lousy sheep. And he loves this sheep like it's his own son. At night, he beds with it at night. He, he feeds it out of his own table. He, it's like his own son, the sheep is. And David's going, yeah? And he goes, and let me tell you what this rich man does, this powerful man. He says, this powerful man one day has a big party, has all his friends over. And instead of taking a sheep from one of his thousands of sheeps, he, he does this, he goes across, he sends his servant across the road, he says, go take the old man's sheep, slaughter it, and we're going to have a feast. And when David hears this and goes, this happened in my kingdom? Somebody took something that wasn't his, that a rich man would abuse a poor man like this? He goes, never, never. And he, he's outraged, he's angry about this. And then, then Nathan, the, the prophet, Nathaniel the prophet, he looks at David and he says this word, ato ish. Ato ish. It's Hebrew word. It says, you are that man, David. It's exactly how you're living. God has blessed you with so much, but you think that the rules don't apply to you. You think that you can do whatever you want and get away with it, but you are that man. Some of y'all are going, well, I'm certainly glad I'm not a man because auto ish does not apply to me, but it's auto ish ah for you. You are that woman. You are that woman. And you go through life and you keep treating people the way that you treat them and you think it's never going to catch up to you. Atoish. God has a way of humbling the man who is prideful. You, you think that you can keep looking at what you want to look at and doing what you want to do. Some of you think that you can use the kind of language and uh, just say whatever you want, whenever you want. You're negative and you're harsh all the time. You think it's never going to catch up to you? Auto-ish. You are that man, and God says, I oppose that kind of man. And my hand will come against you. You, you, you see the real problem with pride, this kind of pride, uh, this kind of self-life, is that you will build a kingdom your whole life. And I will build a kingdom my whole life. If I'm like full of myself, I will build and I will build and I will build and I'll have some great things at the end of my life because I was so full of me. I'll have nice cars, I'll have nice houses, I'll have nice clothes and I'll have a nice bank account. I'll have everything nice in life. 
But the problem with building your own kingdom is that you've built the wrong kingdom. And the problem with building your own kingdom is that your kingdom and my kingdom, it burns at the end. The problem with my kingdom is that it falls apart at the end. And I can't take it with me. The scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we confess before God that we need a savior, God comes running. He comes moving toward us. But if we keep saying, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I can do it on my own. God's hand is against you. I just say, come to God. I say to you, repent. I I say to you, turn to God. Be be humble before God. And say, God, I want to be like you. And I want to be for you. And I want you to go before me. That's what I say to you. Be humble before God.